Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hi there, I'm Mark Baumford. I'm the director for the Yale Sustainable Food Project. With me here today is Frederick Kaufman, author of Bet the Farm, a professor of English at City University of New York, a longtime food journalist, and a Yale alumni. This is the second of a three-part podcast series where we're looking at some of the key ideas that Frederick's introduced in his book, Bet the Farm. And before you can get into commodities trading, before you can get into financialization of food or derivativization of food, I don't know if I'll ever be able to say that properly, you actually need to be able to measure food or measure some proxy for food. And so in this episode, I wanted to talk a bit about measurement. Because before you can even trade, you need some kind of standard. It's argued that the first standard we had for trade was actually language. You need to be able to talk to your trading partner if you want to get anything done. Another standard may have been currency itself, something that you can abstract as the value of a good or a service, which can't easily be lugged across continents. And the role that language and currency play in the abstraction of something very tangible like food. It's the basis not only for trade, but it's also the basis for the increasingly sophisticated mechanisms of trade that you've outlined in your book. And once you have attached uh, an abstracted unit to food, then you can have commodities, you can have the futures contracts, you can have the derivatives, and you can have this whole process of financialization. So as a little bit of a background, why do you think that financialization of food is a problem? Well, I think that, that Mark, you're, you're absolutely going to the core of this issue. And it's the subtitle of my book is How Food Stopped Being Food. And so what, what we're seeing is, is, is that food has moved from being, let's say, something that we farm and then we eat it's moved into being an item that moves around spreadsheets, into being a legal construct, into being a patent right, into being a political football, and into being a financial derivative. And of course, once that it t- makes that meta jump, once it moves into something other than food, then we can think about it in a very different way. And for many intellectual constructs, let's say software or uh, a recording of music, those new ways of thinking can, can be very creative and, and, can, and can actually enhance, in some ways, the product. There are arguments to this, to, this, uh, to this end. Food, however, is different. Food is special. Food is something that we all need every single day. And when we start thinking about food and talking about food in norms and forms and concepts that are not actually intrinsic to food, then we can run into all sorts of trouble down the line. And this has to do clearly with, clearly with financialization, clearly with uh, patent rights relating to food, clearly with food as a political football, and also with this notion of food being indexed into some sort of measure of sustainability. Now, food is also not just food. It is a special case, but food is also how we use the planet. It's how we use our land, and in many cases, it's how we choose or don't choose to alter the biogeochemical cycles that actually provide us things like a stable climate. As we talked about in the earlier podcast, the way that we trade food is a tool that we use for social stabilization as well. Being able to guarantee a stable supply of food is a way that you can have a stable society. 
And it's argued by many sustainable food advocates that so many of these items, the biophysical impacts of food, the socioeconomic impacts of food, they're very poorly measured in the price of food. And they call them the externalities, the things that are not captured in the price. What do you see as the largest negative externalities in the food system today? Um, the largest negative externalities, in other words, the things that we're not taking into account. Well, I think that the generally accepted answer to that question is water. I think that uh, water and water resources are, are clearly uh, going to be problematic going forward. So then what is the solution? And many of the solutions that are being propounded is, well, we should price water. We should give water a price. I'm very much against, I, or I say, I am just as much against the financialization of water <laughs> as I am against the financialization of food. And so I think we have to be very wary of saying, okay, what is the externality that we're not thinking of? How can we then, you know, find it and add it to the cost? Well, wait a second. Maybe, maybe this is not all about cost. Maybe when we're talking about food and water, the measure and the metric should not just be money. So there have been a lot of attempts to internalize those externalities. Much like the proposal to price water, there's been some other less tangible attempts to put a value on the bad stuff, which is not captured in the price of conventional food. So one of these ones, arguably, is certified organic. The idea is that you can have a standard that says, hey, all of those bad things, particularly the uh, harmful effects of pesticide residues that consumers have expressed a concern that they don't want, or the consumer concern over uh, GM products, the organic label basically says, hey, consumers, that externality that you've identified, this label says that we've captured the cost of that, so that you are paying a true cost rather than paying the discounted cost and having somebody, maybe yourself, suffer along the way. So how effectively does certified organic capture the true cost of food? Uh, I, I'm not sure that certified organic in its, in its present incarnation is the answer to the, to the woes and the problems of the food system. Uh, I think that, I think that, that, certifi that certified organic, yeah, it does cost more, but I'm not so sure that it is reflecting the externalities. I'm not so sure that it is. And, and I spent a lot of you know, time with organic farmers. I spent a lot of time on the farms. And of course, to a certain extent, what's, what's, what's making them a little bit different and what's, what's happening and, and what's infecting even the, uh, the status quo farmers and the standard farmers out there is that the organic farmers are really trying to measure all of their inputs as exactly and precisely as possible. And this is not just for the organics, however. This is, this is across the board. This is the trend. The idea is to figure out the exact crop per drop ratio, the exact amount of nitrogen in your soil so that you're not over fertilizing, you know, the exact amount of pesticide you need when you need it according to humidity and wind and in your drip, right? It is becoming a science. And we are trying to calculate every single thing. That the farmer is trying to calculate, obviously, every single input. However, that calculation gets, gets completely skewed 
as that food product gets farther from the farm and closer to my table through all the larger industries that are getting it, that are processing it, that are putting it in cans, that are packaging it, that are bringing it to grocery stores, that are labeling it. All of those externalities, all those external costs of the food, let me put it the other way, the external costs of the food are almost de minimis compared to the externalities of whole foods and the whole foodification of a food. So if none of those are captured in something like a certified organic label, if none of those post-production externalities, um, surely someone is working on a better label. If there's this rush to try and measure it all, there must be someone out there who is trying to make the beyond organic label that will tell you, hey, all the externalities have been internalized with this label. I, I think we have to be careful, first of all, Mark, I think we have to be careful with the word sustainable because this, this word became very hot in the, uh, in the early O's, in the very early part of the century. And all of a sudden we saw sustainable everything. We saw sustainable sportswear, sustainable radial tires, you know, sustainable this, sustainable that. What does sustainable mean when it comes to food? It certainly does not mean zero impact because agriculture is the largest single environmental hit the earth takes every, every year. So in fact, what's become of this term sustainability is that it has been transformed into a marketing term. And you are absolutely right. There is a search going on now for sustainability labeling and the sense that the more sustainable we can label our food, the more we're going to sell our food. But then the question becomes, what is sustainability? How do we calculate? How do we compare, let's say, the can uh, that the beans come in to the water it took to irrigate those beans, to the pesticide, to the diesel that it took to transport those beans to the supermarket, et cetera, all the way down the line to the label, to the inkjet that went on that label? How can we actually calculate every single little element that went in there? And there's a simple answer, Mark. We can't. We can't do it. Unilever has tried it. Walmart is trying it. I went, I, I spoke with, you know, Walt, Unilever is famous for their attempt to understand all the inputs into their frozen peas and failing. Walmart, I went to their sustainability center at the University of Arkansas, and I was, I was told very clearly, in fact, that actually nobody knew how to create this measure. If we actually could get this measure, if we could figure out this metric of sustainability, this unit of sustainability, this true measure of the hit, the environmental and ecological hit of every bite of pasta as opposed to a bite of French toast, right? If we could actually see that difference, that would be one of the greatest achievements of the century. I mean, that would be perhaps the greatest scientific achievement of our century. In fact, with all the technology we have, with all the computer crunching ability, with all our ability to un, you know, decode the genome, we still do not have the ability to measure sustainability and to create that metric. Something that you noted, which I thought was very interesting in your book, as you talked to the people at Unilever and Walmart about their efforts and their frustrations with finding a sustainability metric, was that you brought up that this measurement process comes at a cost itself. The process of measurement is expensive in very tangible terms. Um, 
So what does that mean when you are dealing with something like food, which is actually pretty cheap related to other things that are traded? What does that mean if you're striving towards getting the ultimate label when measuring the ultimate label becomes more expensive than the product that the label is on? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of those, those terrible ironies of food. Um, the leader in efforts to create a sustainability label is, you know, no surprise, Walmart. Walmart would like to own the label, they would like to own all the data, and they would like to push all that kind of quote-unquote zero-carbon footprint pressure onto their suppliers. That's the great Walmartification of the world. In other words, we're going to sell it. The impact is your problem, is a supplier problem. Once you take care of it, then we'll sell it for you. And so that that's actually this kind of very pernicious way in which they do their business. They, they kind of force people into a position. Now, what does this measurement mean anyway? How are they measuring it? Well, of course, since there is no way to measure it, the measurement will simply occur on a pragmatic level. Who's going to be first to market with it will then own that label. And that is, that's what Walmart is doing. What they're trying to do is to figure out a way that they can put kind of a, a little sustainability meter on every single thing they sell, from their toilet paper to their detergent to their apples, that shows more sustainability, less sustainability. It's, it's top secret. It's top secret what form that that label will have. But I hear that it, it might look something like a speedometer, kind of from red to green. And so they have think tanks working on it for them. I don't think that, that ultimately that sustainability label is going to cost Walmart anything. I think that's the whole point. I think the point is that they're going, in classic fashion, they want to increase sales with absolutely no, uh, no cost to themselves. So the label will be as uh, valuable as the information that it actually gives you. Yeah, so, so in a way I'm kind, of, I'm kind of saying that I disagree with your question. I don't think that that label is going to be valuable at all. So one of the implications for finding the sustainability metric comes when the sustainable agricultural movement, especially those who are looking towards uh, the agroecological methods that promote uh, smaller farms, uh, greatly diversified farms, and more complex farms. These are the ones that would be at the greatest disadvantage when it comes to trying to measure every input, report to a large supplier. Are the goals of measuring sustainability and pursuing the complexity, diversity, and scale appropriateness and context specificity of diversified agriculture, are these things completely at odds? Completely at odds. I think we get back to this whole notion of food being different. You know, really when we're measure measuring sustainability, the secret, the dirty little secret is its economic sustainability. Is it, it ultimately comes down to money. How much money is being spent where is that money going? How sustainable is our, our, our inputs and what comes out based on money value? That really becomes the metric. And money is not food. You know, surprise, surprise. And so you can actually have true sustainability on a farm or something as close to true sustainability as, as you can get on a farm. But it not, can't necessarily be measured in dollars and cents. The earth 
cannot be always measured in dollars and cents. And yet there's this huge movement by some very good people who believe that the way that we're going to get where we need to get in sustainability is to put a price on everything, to make something more expensive, to let the market take care of it, to let market forces enter into this. I think that this is the wrong idea. I think that there, we, have to, we have to have a new moral understanding and a new moral footing to perceive that food is different, that feeding the world is not simply a matter of making money off feeding the world, and that food is a human right, as it says very clearly in, in the United Nations. I mean, if we, we in this country believe that education is a right, is a human right, that's why education is made free taxpayers pay for it, but students can go for free and be educated. How much more important is food? I'm not saying it's kind of like, you know, here we're getting into a very large, very controversial area. I'm not saying everybody has the right to their filet mignon <laughs> every night. You want to pay more, you can get what you pay for, what you desire to pay for. But there is a very basic uh, bottom line with food which transcends issues of dollars and cents, and sustainability has just become a matter of advertising and is not clearly and uh, effectively mirroring what is happening on the farm. Thanks so much, Frederick. We're going to wrap this one up. On the next segment of this podcast, we'll be digging a little bit deeper into the financialization of food and asking some of the questions about whether or not speculation was the key driver of the high prices in the last couple price spikes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at www.yale.edu slash sustainable food.